0: We're so happy to have evangelist Nick Mahaney with us from the great state of Arkansas. Uh, Brother Mahaney is uh, a man who has been an evangelist now for uh, more than 15 years in the United Pentecostal Church. His father was a great evangelist in the United Pentecostal Church and was a good friend of mine. And When we would do conferences together, he would always say, David, I want you to pray for my son, Nick. I prayed for Nick before I ever met him. And then before his father, my good friend Charlie Mahaney passed, Brother Nick Mahaney prayed back through. Way back there, I said, I want you to come and preach in East Wind. Of course, we weren't East Wind back then, but we were in Palm Bay. I met him at a general conference. His father introduced me to him. And then to see how God has used his ministry, which is different than what you may be used to. It's a ministry of transparency. It's a ministry of redemption. It's a ministry of restoration. How many of you glad to know the Lord restores and renews? Last year through the COVID season and all the virtual reality revivals and all that we had through that time when we were 100 straight uh, services online, Brother Nick Mahaney uh, shared a little bit of his testimony. And um, I asked him to come and be with us whenever we got through that time. And so he's with us today. I want him to just come and take his liberty and just share. What a powerful service we had at 830. I know you're going to be blessed. Would you welcome to this podium evangelist Nick Mahaney. God bless you in Jesus' name.
1: Hallelujah. Come on, praise him. Hallelujah. I praise your name, Jesus. Oh, how great you are. Oh, how mighty you are. Hallelujah. Come on, angels bow before him. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, I lift you up, oh God. I praise you from the depths of my very being, oh Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, lift your hands and praise him. Hallelujah. 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 What a mighty God we serve. In January, my wife's such a giving person. She gave me COVID Now, all of you ladies don't shout, but us men are wimps when we get sick. I'll admit it. And I didn't preach the whole month of January. I think I preached one time because I was sick, very sick. Since February, God has been healing people Not because I'm there, but because he's there. It was just a month or so ago I was in a service and a lady had such pressure on her eyes that she was blind except for right in front of her. The saints of God prayed for her. Nick Mahaney didn't pray for her because Nick Mahaney's never healed nobody. And she felt it release. She went to the doctor. The doctor said, don't come back. The pressure's gone. The blindness is gone. Another lady had a lung issue they were afraid for her to get this virus because of her lung condition they said you'll, you'll never make it she hadn't prayed singing in almost 3 years because she didn't have the breath in a prayer line one of the saints of God laid their hands on her she fell face forward and she laid there for 15-20 minutes found out later she hadn't been able to even sleep laying on her stomach because she couldn't breathe in in two or three years she goes to the doctor the doctor said that lung condition's gone several people i i could stand here since february and tell you how many over and over and over again, God has healed people of cancer. That they, one, one lady had liver cancer, being treated for it. Her mother was a survivor of liver cancer. Her aunt had died from the same thing. It ran in their family. Some of the ladies got around her and began to pray. And she went back to the doctor to do blood work. And they, say, they called her and said, You better come back in because everything's normal. We don't understand it. She said, I'll come in every week because Jesus has healed my body. I come to tell you this morning that Jesus is the healer. And I know we have church at 630 tonight. And I'm going to show you the kind of man of faith I am. If you want healed, you need to be here tonight. If you're listening online and you're sick, forsake not assembling together of one another. You need to come into the church because God's about to show up tonight with miracles, signs, and wonders. He's just wanting to heal you. You see, when Moses went back after all the things that God had showed him, all the miracles he had shown him, that wasn't for Pharaoh, that was for his people. Because he was going to convince his people that he was God. God's about to convince his people. Come on, there's about to be an outpouring of miracles, signs and wonders like the church has never seen before. Because God wants you to understand that he is God. God. What an honor it is to be here. I give honor to your pastor and his family. And it's great to see the bishop. Man, what an honor. Now, y'all can tell that I'm probably a little hungry. That COVID took my smell, but you can't take a Mahaney's taste. I'm just going to tell you. One of the things that helped me defeat COVID was fried chicken. At the marriage supper of the Lamb, you'll be able to tell the Mahaney's table because the colonel's going to be there. Stay out of my chicken. That's all I'm going to tell y'all. Second Chronicles. 33 and 9. Isn't God good? Ain't God good? To give us so many blessings. Some of y'all don't even remember that song. So Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err, and to do worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. Wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters, and carried him to Babylon. And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, and prayed unto him, and he was entreated of him, and heard his supplication, and brought him again to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord he was God. Now after this, he built a wall without the city of David on the west side of Gihon in the valley, even to the entering in at the fish gate. And compassed about Ophel and raised it up a very great height and put captains of war in all the fenced cities of Judah. And he took away the strange gods and the idol out of the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem and cast them out of the city. And he repaired the altar of the Lord and sacrificed thereon peace offerings and thank offerings. And commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. I want to preach for a little while on the ministry of the thorns. God is going to fill somebody with the Holy Ghost. If you have never spoken in tongues, it's not something that you force. It's not something that brings confusion. God's not the author of confusion. You will begin to speak in a language you've never spoken before in your life. You know how I know? Because I can barely speak English. And I speak, I speak in a heavenly language. Then you must be baptized. It's not an option. He that believeth and is baptized. The same shall be saved. And you must be baptized in the name of Jesus. Not the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Nobody was ever baptized in the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. It's the greatest deception on this world that has ever been here. But if you take on his name, Paul, there is power in his name. He will wash away your sins. They will be in remission. He'll never remember them again. And that can happen to you today. By the authority of the word of God. And by the power that's in your name, Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, Lord, as I step into battle, I'm asking you to help me, God. God, I need you to touch my mind, my voice, and my body. And begin to move on me. God, let my hands be your hands. Let my feet be your feet. Let my ears hear your voice. Let my mouth speak what you want me to speak. In the name of Jesus, I take dominion over any evil spirits. They have to be silent or leave this place. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we take dominion over sickness and infirmities. Right now, in Jesus' name. God, fear has to leave when we speak your name. Depression has to release its icy grip when we speak your name. And in the name of Jesus, Lord, I speak it right now. Begin to move in this service. Begin to move right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name, you may be seated. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign in Judah. Now the Bible tells us that he never walked in the ways of the Lord. Ahaz worshipped Baal, Ahaz burned his children in the fire to Molech, and his reign is 16 years. And in those 16 years, he tries to do everything he can to bring Judah as far from God as he could. Second Chronicles 28 and 24. And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God. Shut up the doors of the house of the Lord. And he made him altars in every corner of Jerusalem, and in every several city of Judah he made hot places to burn incense unto other gods and provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers. Now, after his death, his son Hezekiah, who has been saved from the fires of sacrifice, succeeds him at the age of 25. He becomes the 13th king of Judah and Jerusalem. Now in the first month that he is king, Hezekiah opens the doors of the temple and Hezekiah begins repairing them. Hezekiah begins cleansing the temple. He doesn't waste any time. In the first month, he begins sanctifying the temple once again and he begins to offer up sacrifice. Then the Bible says in that first month, that he restores the worship of the temple. And he has the priests make sin offering so they can make reconciliation with the blood and make atonement for Israel. So Hezekiah brings in the singers. He brings in the musicians. And when the offerings begin, they begin to sing a song to the Lord. And after many years of sin and backsliding against the Lord, the people of Judah are now being called back by their leader, the king, to the things of God and the things of the temple. They destroy the idols and the graven images, and they come back to their place of service and to worship the one true God. Even after all these things, even after all the good they had done, the enemy still came against them. Come on, just because you're here in church today, Just because you're paying your tithes and giving in your offering doesn't mean the enemy is not going to come against you. I come to tell you, the enemy wants nothing more than to see you in hell. The enemy wants nothing more than to see your children lost and going to hell. I don't care if you pray out eight hours a day. There's still going to be battles, but you're going to have a way to make it through the battle. Come on, you're going to have a God that you can turn to that will fight your battles. You're going to have a God that's going to step in at the right time. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, it's my God that's going to come in raising the flag of victory. Just hold on. Just keep being faithful. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other because God has your back. Come on, walk on into the battle knowing that God is going to be there for you. (laughs) So the Assyrians come against Jerusalem and the Bible says God sends an angel. We don't even know his name. We know who Gabriel is. We know who Michael is. We don't know if this one ever had the Christmas bells ring on the tree and get his wings. He's just a little old no-name angel. God says, go wipe out the enemies. And he kills hundreds of thousands of enemy. You just keep on believing, sister. Come on, brother. You just keep on believing. God's about to send an angel to step into your situation. Come on, God's about to send something in your life. Come on, God's about to send somebody. God's about to send a man with a word for you. God's about to send a woman of God with a word for you. Now on his deathbed, Hezekiah cries out to God. We know the story how he's granted 15 more years. And after his death, it's his son, Manasseh, and he's 12 years old when he begins to reign. Second Chronicles 33 and 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem. But did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Like unto the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he built again the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down. And he reared up altars for Balaam and made groves and worshiped all the host of heaven and served them. Also he built altars in the house of the Lord whereof the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Also, he observed times, horoscope, Woo! y'all better be careful. And used enchantments and used witchcraft and dealt with a familiar spirit and with wizards. He wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger and he said a carved image the idol historians say this was his likeness the idol was the king's likeness which he had made in the house of god of which god had said to david and to solomon his son in this house and in jerusalem which i have chosen before all the tribes of israel will i put my name forever Neither will I any more remove the foot of Israel from out of the land which I have appointed for your fathers, so that they will take heed to do all that I have commanded them according to the whole law and statutes and the ordinances by the hand of Moses. So Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err and to do worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Known as one of the worst kings in the Old Testament. There's there's a lot of horrible kings in the Old Testament. But there's not a lot of them that burn their children in the fire to a false god. He used sorcery. He used enchantments, idols, and false gods. And he forces the people of Judah to follow in his ways. God tries to intervene and speak to him. But it falls on deaf ears. And the king and his people refuse to hear the voice of God. So the Lord sends these Assyrians. You see, the Lord didn't send the Assyrians against Hezekiah, the godly man. So God defeated them. But you better be careful when the Lord starts sending enemies upon you. Come on, you better hope you don't get to a place where God begins to send Enemies after you. And I'm afraid that's what's happening a lot right now. Come on, men that used to preach the truth have fallen away because they have gotten so prideful and so boastful. Look at what I can do. Look at all the people that I have healed. Look at all the people that I've helped receive the Holy Ghost. And God sends a strong delusion upon them. You better hope you don't get to a place where you don't love the truth. And God sends a strong delusion on you, honey, because it's over. So God sends the Assyrians and they attack his kingdom. And they can't defeat him this time because there is no angel that goes and fights their battles. And They bind Manasseh and they take him to Babylon. There he is bound and placed in the thorns. In the thorns, he begins to cry out to God. As he is bound in affliction, he prays and humbles himself before God. God hears his cries of repentance. God delivers him and brings him back home to Jerusalem. This man, who was so evil and so corrupt that he sacrificed his children in the fire. This man, instead of relying on God, relied on witches, relied on sorcerers and enchantments, and who finally God has to send an enemy against him. This king, known as the worst king in the Old Testament, when he finally found himself at the end of his rope, with no hope, cried out to God from the thorns. God hears him, God saves him, and he goes back to Jerusalem. And he begins to build walls of protection. He begins to destroy the idols. And he begins to destroy the groves. He repairs the altars. He, once again, he makes sacrifice. Because I come to tell you that there's a ministry in the thorns. You may be in, your, in a place in your life where it seems like you've done nothing but wrong in your life. Sin after sin. Trial after trial. Where everything is all about you. And there's nothing about God. And you finally find yourself at the lowest point, at the lowest place you've ever been. You are bound up with fetters. You are bound up in the thorns. But there is a ministry in the thorns. Because in the thorns, you have no place to go. In the thorns, there's nowhere for you to turn to. In the thorns, everyone else is through with you. But my God wants to free you from the misery. My God wants to free you from a life of shame that is in the thorns. He's ready to deliver you. He's just waiting on you to humble yourself and cry out to him in your sin and in your shame. And he will minister to you. Man, woman, it's still man, woman. Y'all got that? I was born a man, I will die born a man. If you're born a woman, you will die born a woman. There is no other genders. You didn't choose it. God chose you. And you are going against the very act of God. When you decide to choose something that is against God. And God's going to raise up some people in this last days who are not afraid to call sin, sin. Come on. God didn't intend for a man to marry a man or a woman to marry a woman. We need to be bold. We need to preach it like the Word of God says. I don't care if they lock me up or not. I could use a vacation. I've been to jail more times than Otis a Drunk on Mayberry. I would rather go for preaching the gospel than all that other mess I did. Man and woman and Adam and Eve, they're in an absolute paradise. Can you imagine? Everything you want is at your disposal. Enticed and lured by the devil. They begin to think that they can do it their way. There's only one way, God's way. And they eat of the fruit of a tree they have been commanded not only not to touch, but not to eat it. For that brief moment in their lives, thinking that they can do it their way, and it costs them a paradise. Genesis 3 and 13. And the Lord God said unto woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. And between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. And sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying... Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Here they are, banished to the thorns and the thistles to work the land. They have two sons. In travail, Eve bears Cain and Abel. And immediately there is jealousy and envy that arises. Cain, because God doesn't accept his sacrifice, but accepts Abel's more excellent sacrifice. In anger, Cain kills his brother. And now Adam and Eve not only feel the sting of thorns and thistles, but they taste the awful taste of death and the broken heart. Of their total destruction of their family. All because of their sin. They find themselves in such an awful awful place. But somewhere in this place of sorrow. Somewhere in this place of heartache. Somewhere in this place of thistles and thorns. Adam and Eve find a place where they are once again in touch with God. Because they bear a son named Seth. And she says, because God has appointed me another seed to take the place of Abel. Seth has a son named Enos. And the Bible tells us this is when men began calling on the name of the Lord. Even though everything had gone wrong. And even though Adam and Eve had disobeyed God. And were cast into the thorns. It looked like it was over. But in all their pain. And in all their suffering. God raised up men. Who would call on his name. Come on, there's a ministry in your affliction. There's a ministry in your pain. He's trying to bring you out. He's trying to take you out of the thorns. He's trying to place your feet on solid ground. Sometimes the thorns are thorns of remembrance. Saul was a persecutor of the church, going out and seeking out the followers of Jesus to arrest and persecute. Saul committed horrible things to the people of the way, the people of God, watching the coats and cheering them on as as Stephen is stoned and slaughtered, making threats to go after the followers of Jesus. He goes on a journey to find and persecute them. On his way to Damascus, a light from heaven shines all around him. He falls to the ground. He hears a voice, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why do you kick against the pricks? You see, the pricks was a stick about this long, and it was wrapped in thorns, and it was used to hit cattle. It was used to herd animals. He said, Why are you kicking against this? God instructs him to go into the city. He said, I will show you what to do. When he stands up, he's totally blind. Led now into the city. He begins praying in his affliction. He begins praying in his thorns. And God shows Ananias, where Saul is waiting blind and praying. Once a man of authority. Once a man of power, now a man that is broken in despair, blind and in the thorns. Ananias lays his hands on him for him to receive his sight. And the Holy Ghost falls upon him. As he is filled with the Holy Ghost, the scales fall from his eyes. He arises and is baptized. No wonder he suffered for poor eyesight through the rest of his life. But he never forgot the ministry of the thorns. Second Corinthians 12.6 For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me, and lest I should be exalted above the measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I brought the Lord, I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly... Therefore, will I rather glorify in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, for when I am weak, for when I am weak, I am strong Paul realized even though it hurts even though it's lonely even when it seems like I can't make it another day I can look back at the pain I can look back at the suffering I can look back at the thorns and remember that's how my life was changed Paul knew in his weakness it was Jesus Christ who would make him strong because his grace, come on, his grace will bring you through things you never thought you'd go through is efficient for me. Raised in a preacher's home. That's me. Raised upon the good. I was never abused. By my family. I was raised up on the godly things. I was never abandoned. I was loved, cared for growing up. But my sin nature was always trying to find a way to overcome me. My first taste of addiction was at about eight or nine years old. I stole my uncle's Winston cigarettes, and I went out and lit one up. Like to killed me. I was laying on the ground, coughing, turning green. But I kept them. And what that did, it took the key of addiction and placed it in my hand. You can talk to every drug addict you know and their first addiction is usually nicotine. I'm just going to tell you like it is. Then about age of 12, we was at a church and they did communion with real wine. And that was my first taste of alcohol. Because I broke in and drank all their wine. (laughs) Sounds funny now. And what happened when I tasted that alcohol is that key that was in my hand, I placed it in the lock of a door and I opened it and through that door rushed all these addictions. Pornography, that same year, I can tell you the first piece of pornography I've ever looked at. Come on. We need to make war. Listen, if you can't control this, get rid of it. You're going to be lost and go to hell over a phone. You're going to lose your marriage. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose everything over a phone. Jesus said, if my eye offends me, I'll pluck it out. I think your eye is offending you when you look at that phone. Some of you young men, you need to join up with an elder and make sure it ain't one that ballycoddles you and likes you where he can walk up and take your phone at any time and read your mail over what you're looking at. You don't want to be lost. The same year I smoked my first joint, about 12 years old. By the time I was 17, I would went to a senior camp, and they found two ounces of weed and two fifths of vodka on me, and I left that camp. In one year, I was a full-blown alcoholic where my hands would shake like this. I couldn't even light a cigarette until I got some vodka or some bourbon in me where they'd calm down enough and I'd roll a joint and I would drink and smoke joints until I blacked out. At 18, I was at a party and they said, you like to party? They brought out a mirror about this size, big, long white lines. It was cocaine. And I did my first line of cocaine at 18 years old. Well, they was right. I like to party. I'm a big, fat, white guy. I can't dance. Boy, well, I did some cocaine, i be. See, I told you I can't dance. And that's when the crack epidemic was all over the news. One hit, you could die. That's what they said. One hit, you're addicted. I couldn't wait to find some. I got me a crack rock and I had me a radio antenna. You could tell all the crackheads back in the day because nobody had any radio antennas. Right? You go to work, everybody's antennas that long. Because all of us crackheads have broken your antenna off. Stuff Brillo down in it. And the first time I put a crack rock on there and I could hear that rock sizzling. And I drew the smoke down in my lungs. When I blew it out, I'd never been that high in my life. From that moment on, guess what? They were right. It didn't kill me yet. But I was hopelessly addicted. Searching the carpet for little crumbs of crack. Getting mad when you put a real bread crumb on your pipe. I've seen people fight shootouts, knife fights over a push on a pipe at 20 I was at a party big biker party they were they had big bowls of methamphetamines and my buddy walked up to me said roll your sleeve up you'll feel something like a pin sticking you and I rolled my sleeve up and he took a U100 insulin syringe and when I seen that blood shoot up in that vein and he pumped the drugs into me from that moment on. It was over for me. I would carjack, armed rob, burglarize, strong-armed people, horrible things to do and grab that spoon and put some drugs in the spoon and draw it up in a U-100 insulin syringe. I became a violent person. Violence and crime became my way of life. I hated God and the church and I turned to the occult and tarot cards and seances and satanism and I began to cook meth and I lived in the deepest depths of sin. Arrested over and over again. Finally charged with 12 class Y felonies where my plea bargain was was 40 to life in prison. They wanted to give me life in prison and I found myself deep, embedded in the thorns. I had nowhere to turn to. And I was in a drug rehab trying to get clean before I went to prison. And on my knees in that drug rehab, bound by fetters, bound by the thorns, I cried out in my affliction. Pastor, he heard my cry. He filled me with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Psalm 119 and 65, thou hast dwelt well with thy servant, O Lord, according unto thy word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments before I was afflicted. I went astray, but now I have kept thy word. Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes the proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in the law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted that I might learn thy statutes. It was in my affliction where he reached down and he saved me. It was in my affliction of the thorns where he pulled me out and he put my life back together again. With angry shouts, torches, and swords, soldiers from the Sanhedrin court are led through the Garden of Gethsemane by one of his disciples. They find Jesus who has been in the throes of agony he has been crying out father let this cup pass from me sweat as great drops of blood is fallen from him he cries out nevertheless not my will but thine when the soldiers show up his followers flee and he is bound and he's led to the sanhedrin court There he is tried by his peers. I want you to understand, these weren't 70 outlaws. These were 70 good men. These were 70 of the most renowned men in Jerusalem and all of Israel. These men were Sadducees and Pharisees, priests and high priests. They were godly. They followed 613 laws. Didn't, it wasn't taken before criminals. And as he stands there, there's charges of heresy and blasphemy against him. They find Jesus guilty. And it is the custom of the Sanhedrin court. As he stands here with his hands bound behind his back, that 70 of them, one at a time, walk up and spit in his face and slap him as hard as they can. He stands there as one at a time. With rubbery strings of spit hanging from his beard. With his ears ringing, his lips split. From the heavy-handed men slapping him over and over. He's led away to prison. We don't know what happens. But you can research Roman prisons. And you'll find out all the torture that he had to have endured while he was in prison. I come to tell somebody, when I was a boy, an older man abused me. I can carry that with me or I can realize, boy, I'm speaking to somebody in this place. I can keep carrying it or I can let it go and realize he's already been there. He knows my pain. He knows my affliction. The next morning, he's taken before the governor, Pontius Pilate. His life is traded for a murderer and thief, Barabbas. As they push him behind Pilate's hall with a crowd angry, saying, crucify him, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. And behind Pilate's courtyard, there stood one pillar, and it was a massive courtyard. And in the middle of that courtyard stood a pillar, and around that pillar was a squad of soldiers. You see, this squad of soldiers is different They have been trained to inflict pain. They have been trained in abuse. It's generational. Their fathers passed it down to them. Their grandfathers passed it down to their fathers. This is all they know is how to inflict pain upon people. As they push him towards his soldiers, they fall upon him and strip him naked. Knocking him to the ground. Stripping his clothes off. They now stand him up naked. This modest Rabbi, this modest teacher is now stood up naked before the whole world, naked in front of his peers, naked in front of his family. And they take his left wrist and they lift it as high as they can on this pillar and they tie him to the top of that pillar. They stretch him and they tie his right wrist to the pillar. His feet are barely touching the ground as they tie his left ankle. And they stretch his legs, and they tie his right ankle. You see, these men know their job, and they would first take an eight- or a nine-foot-long oxhide whip. This whip was not designed to rip the flesh. This whip was designed, was designed to soften it up where it can be torn from his body. One on the left, one on the right, and they lay that whip across his back. Red, angry whelps jump up on the skin. As he shouts out in anger, he shouts out in pain, he shouts out in anguish. For ten or fifteen minutes they wail on him and beat him until they're out of breath. Two more soldiers come up to take their place. They grab a wooden handle. It's called a flagrum, not a cat of nine tails. It was never called that until the pirate days. This was a flagrum. And embedded in that flagrum was strips of leather, with sheep bones ball bearings, pieces of glass, wire. It was designed to grab the flesh and tear it loose. They laid that whip across his back and it hangs in the flesh and they pull it and a red mist of blood showers through the air. He screams out in agony as they begin to lay the flesh from his body. They're out of breath. Two more take their place and they keep laying him and they keep beating him. It's great red drops of blood are hitting the cobblestones. So much blood is coming out of his body. They have a trench cut to channel the blood so they wouldn't slip as they're beating him. His organs are showing. Bones are showing. And I can hear the prophet Isaiah's voice as it begins to echo down through the eons of time. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Come on, I come to tell you, East Wind Pentecostal Church, the beating wasn't for our salvation. The cross was for our salvation. The whipping was because he loved you so much, he wanted to heal your body. He loved you so much, he wanted to deliver you. He loved you so much, he wanted cancer to leave your body. He knew we needed a healer and also a savior. So he went to the whipping post for us, cut loose. He falls to the ground in a heap. He begins to wretch, throw up. The pain is so severe, he's going into shock and they stand him up from the ground. Matthew 27 tells us, and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. When they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it on his hand. Mark 15, and they clothed him with purple and platted a crown of thorns and put it upon his head. John 19, then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him and the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. Carrying the cross with angry shouts. People pulling handfuls of his beard out, mocking him, laughing him. Finally, at the top of Golgotha, they lay him down. Now, I want you to understand something. If you was not a Roman citizen, you would be crucified for any infraction against the Romans. It was not uncommon When you walked out of the gates of cities to see people crucified. When Jesus was a young man, there was an uprising in Galilee. They sent in legions of Roman soldiers and they crucified almost 3,000 people in his home area. You don't think he noticed them hanging on crosses? He knew what was going to happen. What they would do, they'd lay you down on a cross member that they had forced him to carry through the streets, this cross member weighed 80 to 120 pounds, hewn out of rough wood, and they would take a rope and tie his right bicep to the cross. Then they would take a rope and tie his left bicep, his forearm, to the cross. A Roman soldier would stomp on his hand and open his hand, and they'd take a seven-inch iron spike and drive it through his hand into the cross. He would scream out in agony as the blood spurted out. You see, all your nerves end in your hands and in your feet. The reason they they said they tied them to the cross, because when that nail penetrated them nerves, they'd start flopping on the ground. And if they didn't tie them loose, they'd rip themselves loose from the cross. They'd take a loop and loop the left wrist, and four or five of them would stretch him. And they wouldn't quit till a shoulder or an elbow would dislocate, and he'd string him out again. And they'd tie that left bicep tie the left forearm, stomp on his hand again and drive another nail through his hand. Then they would take that cross member and they would pick it up with him hanging. You see all the pictures showing way up high, but that's not what the Romans did. They wanted you at eye level so your family could walk up and see and smell your suffering. And they'd walk up to an upright stake. Laughing as he's hanging there with the blood pouring out on the rocks. And they would drop him on that upright stake. And as he come to a sudden stop, the nails would tear into his flesh. And he's just hanging there. Because of artists' renderings, they always have one foot on top of the other. But that's, they, that's not how it happened. They found the bones of a first century man that was crucified. The only ones they've ever found. And the nail was still embedded above, above the heel and the ankle bone. What they would do, they would bend his left knee. And they'd take that point of that nail and they would drive it in between the space. Between your ankle and your heel. And it would rupture the Achilles tendon. He'd scream out in pain. And they'd bend the other knee. Hanging there. With the gnats in his face. Sweat running into his eyes. Thirsty. He hangs on this cruel cross of redemption. To purchase us with his crimson cash of his blood. Because there was a ministry in his thorns. There was a ministry in his affliction. His ministry went further than mine. Come on. His ministry went further than my affliction. He took it all, took the sins of all mankind. Finally, he says, it is finished. And he gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent from the top to the bottom. As the Spirit of God burst out of the veil. Because now no longer was bulls needed. Now no longer was goats or lambs or turtle doves. The blood had been shed for our sins. (laughs) Through his affliction, through his ministry in the thorns, he brought us salvation. Colossians 2.12 says, buried with him. Not buried with them, buried with him in baptism. Wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which is contrary to us he took it out of the way nailing it to his cross Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Hebrews 12 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. His ministries in the thorns. Guess what? He didn't stay in the grave. Three days later, he rose victorious over death, over hell, over the grave, and he became the living Savior for all the world. And I come to tell you that same Jesus is here today, walking up and down these aisles. He wants you to repent today. He don't care what you did this morning. He don't care where he was last night. He's right here and right now. The cross was for our salvation so that we would not have to go to hell. We could go to heaven. But I come to tell you, just as sure as there's a heaven, that there's a hell. And there's no gray area. It's black, white. You're either saved or you're lost. Come on. You're either going to go to heaven or you're going to hell. Only a fool would go to hell sitting on a Pentecostal church pew. Hearing the best preaching you've ever heard coming across. Not me, but all the other guys. Preaching across this pulpit. Come on. You're going to wake up. The Bible says it's appointed to every man to die and then the judgment. Well, I don't know when Jesus is coming back for sure, but I'll tell you this, every five seconds he comes back for somebody in North America. Every five seconds, somebody dies of a drug overdose. Every five seconds, somebody dies from a drunk driver hitting him. Every five seconds, cancer takes a lie. Every five seconds, diabetes, heart disease takes a lie. You better make yourself ready because there's a heaven, but there's a hell too. The Bible says where the fire is not quenched and the worm dieth not. You'll be falling, crying and screaming. The demons chanting your name. You're here forever. You can't get out. I knew if I could keep you from repentance. I knew if I could keep you from humbling yourself. I'd have you. Just as sure as Jesus is waiting in this place. The hounds of hell are waiting outside those doors. They can't wait for you to turn your back on him. One more time. I met a man this year. At a men's conference. Raised in the church. Parents both in the ministry. He began running around with a Mexican cartel in Arizona. He said, somebody knocked on my door. And when I opened the door, they unloaded on me. Boom, boom, boom. One bullet went through him and killed his girlfriend. He said, I hit the ground and they stepped over me and went boom. He showed me a picture where he died. And they took this last picture of him thinking that was it. He said, I rose up above my body and I seen this bright light. He said, I was thinking, well, this is what everybody's talking about. They seen the white light. He said, in just a moment, a voice spoke out of that light and said, this isn't for you. He said, and immediately I was sucked down this dark tunnel and these demons popped up in my face. And they said, you're coming with us. He said, I would start us hitting them as hard as I could. He said, I would begin to hit them and they would laugh at me. He said, it's too late for you. You're coming with us. He said, they were ripping my body apart. And he said, as I was pulled down this tunnel, I seen people in flames waving like worms. And they looked at me, and said, don't come here. I come to tell you hell is real. You go ahead and laugh and joke about it and think it's not for you. You'll be the next one. You'll be falling in those flames saying, why didn't I listen to him? Why I'm going to tell you, when you get to judgment, you're not going to be able to say, Nick Mahaney didn't tell me. Come on, you better bend your knees before it's too late. You better realize in your affliction, it's time to repent. It's time to let the blood of Jesus cover you. Let's all stand. God sent me here to tell you, you can look like you stepped out of the apostolic life, the Pentecostal herald, and still die and burn in hell. Your attitude is filthy rags. You've been judgmental. Oh, that ain't for me. That's outdated. Everything the pastor preaches, you go against it. Always trying to find a loophole. Come on, just trying to barely do enough to make it. Wondering if something's a heaven or hell issue or not. You made it a heaven or hell issue when you became rebellious. Rebellion is the same sin as witchcraft. When the pastor preaches it, you better get behind him because God's not going to allow a witch in heaven. And I'm preaching to somebody right now. I'm trying to keep you out of hell. I can show you what I plan to preach. You want to come up here? It wasn't this. Come on, Pentecostal girl. Come on, you look the part but you sit on the edge of your bed doubting everything your parents have taught you. Come on, everything you've been raised up in. Come on, young man. Don't let that doubt overcome you, cause you to be lost. Don't be a Nick Mahaney because you don't have 21 years like I had because Jesus is coming back. The devils of hell are hoping that one more time you don't repent. You must repent and be baptized. Jesus name for the remission of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost but what we have done with our high powered preachers big Holy Ghost crusades we bypass repentance baptism too fast every head bowed every eye closed see I can't make your decision I'll be honest with you If I could make the decision and repent for you, I would not leave here until I repented for everybody on the roll or roster of this church. I'd lay in this altar. And the devil is trying to tell you because you've been afflicted. You've looked at some things you shouldn't have looked at. You went some places you shouldn't have went. You maybe have done some things you shouldn't have done. He's trying to fill your mind full of all this stuff. It's too late. When I'm here to tell you, it's not too late. Because in your thorns and in your affliction, He wants to forgive you of your sins. Is there anybody in this place who says, I haven't repented in a long time and would make yourself, make your way to this altar? Come on. I'm not going to hold it open very long after preaching on the cross. If you're not touched, then you can't be touched. Come on, after preaching on hell, come on, who wants to step out today and say, I've had enough. I can't live like this anymore. All the pain and the suffering, I don't understand it. But I'm I'm here to tell you all that pain and affliction is for a reason. Because he wants to minister to you in your pain. He wants to minister to you in your darkest depression. He wants to minister to you in your anguish, in your heartbreaking. He wants to minister to you in your sickness. Come on, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He's here right now for you. Come on, move on up to the front. Come on. Come on, saint of God, you're always faithful, but how long has it been since you fell at the foot of the cross and repented and asked Jesus to forgive you? Come on, that's it. There's a ministry in your pain, there's a ministry in your thorns right now. Come on, if you're watching online, get on your knees. Begin to repent. Begin to thank Him for the affliction you've been through. Here's what I want us to do. I want to explain something to you. Repentance is not just being sorry. It's part of it. But repentance means I'm not doing it again. Now, I wish I could say everything I've repented for, I never done again. There's some things that I had to repent for again. So, when we say repent, we want you to tell God that I'm sorry for my sins and I'm going to live for you and I'm not going to do it anymore. I want a spirit of repentance. That's what God wants to sweep across this place. From the eldest to the youngest. Come on, from the most holy to the most unrighteous. I want you to lift your hands in this place. And I want you to begin to ask God to forgive you of your sins. Right now, talk to him. You, He wants to hear your voice. I can't do it for you. God, forgive me. Come on, talk to him. During all this shutdown, during COVID... Come on, our young men and women are watching things because there is nothing else for them to do. And the enemy's trying to infiltrate them. Come on, the enemy's trying to stop what they can do. Forgive me, Jesus. Lord, I've been saying things I shouldn't say. Talk to him. Lord, I've been going places I shouldn't go. God, I've been doing things. Come on, talk to him. Don't 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 move right from this place right now. Begin to repent. Come on, search my heart. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. In your affliction, He's about to meet you right now. Come on, open up your mouth. Let the Holy Ghost begin to flow out of you. All right, I want everybody to look at me just for a minute I want your full attention look at me I want, how many feel that God has forgiven you lift your hands if you do because if you don't we, we don't need to stop yet our vessels are pure they're clean now the Holy Ghost wants to move through us You've repented if you've never been baptized in Jesus' name. Don't leave here without being baptized because straightway they were baptized. That's when you take the name. Now I want you to lift your hands. You've repented. I don't care if you got the Holy Ghost 50 years ago. Let Him fill you again right now. Come on, I hate using that word, refill, but let Him fill you again right now. Come on. By the authority of the Word of God. By the power that's in the name of Jesus. Come on, I speak faith into this place right now. Come on, be filled with the Holy Ghost. Come on, be ye filled with the Holy Ghost. Receive ye the Holy Ghost. In the name of Jesus, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Come on, press on till you begin to speak in tongues. Come on, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues. Come on, be filled again. Press
0: on. Come on, reach over, lay hands
1: on somebody, help them pray through to the Holy Ghost. Come on, reach over and pray for them. So you came and gave life, so I could be free, so I could be whole. Come on, receive it in Jesus' name. You can my i only see you the Holy Ghost Yeah. to look at me one more time. I want everybody in this place to do this for me. Ask who you're standing beside. Ask them, have you been baptized in Jesus' name? Just ask them. Come on. If they say no, say, what are you waiting on? We have water. We have rose. Come on, is there anybody who wants to be baptized in Jesus' name? Come on. Here we go. Here's one. We're not singing. I don't care how many. I just want somebody to be baptized. Here we go. We got people ready to be baptized. Who else? Come on. Take them where they need to go. As they begin to sing, if you've never been baptized before, Today is your lucky day. Straightway we have robes, we have water, and we're going to baptize you, and God's going to take away all your sins. As they begin to sing, let's praise Him again each week. Come on, there's something deep moving in this place. Come on, there's a deep spirit moving in this place. Come on, if you thought I was worth saving. Here's Mark. Who else wants to be baptized? Come on, this is your day. We will praise you forever, forever.